1: Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Hello. ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington correspondent. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, I. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense, and you should know better.
0: Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is
1: yes.
2: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout, and if there was ever a week where there should be less of me and more of the guest, it's this week. So without further ado, I want to introduce our guest, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Democrat from Virginia, Mark Warner. Senator Warner, it's great to have you with us.
1: Major, thank you. It's great to see you.
2: I want to ask you a couple of things that are not Ukraine-related, and then I want to get into a very long conversation about Ukraine. Sure. First of all, you're not on the committee, but I'm sure you have either seen or been briefed about the confirmation hearings for Just, Judge Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Your overall assessment of those two days, what some have described as antics from some Republican senators, one Republican senator called a jackassery at times, and do you believe, A, she will be confirmed, and B, How much Republican support in the end do you think she will receive?
1: Well, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the hearing in light of the fact that I've been spending an awful lot of time in a secure area, a so-called skiff. The parts I saw and the reporting, um, I think she held up extraordinarily well. I think she will be confirmed. I believe and hope uh, that it will be bipartisan. Um, I feel like Some of the Republicans on the committee were basically auditioning uh, to the farthest right constituencies for 2024. Um, I'm not sure they moved anybody's needle. Matter of fact, I I was happy to see folks like Senator Romney and others not on the committee, but saying some of this, um, uh, some of these charges seem to be extraordinarily off base. Um, But she, I think, to you know, you, you sit through uh, two, what was it, 11 or 12-hour sessions two days in a row of that kind of um, tomfoolery in some cases and retainer composure uh, seems to me like I can understand why I should be a good judge.
2: Senator, you're a proud Virginian for a lot of good reasons. Virginia is a great state. It has a tortured history with race in our country. From your vantage point, from the vantage point of a proud Virginian, how important it is this day where we as a nation are on the cusp of having the first black woman on the Supreme Court?
1: Well, uh, I think it's very important. And again, Virginia does have a proud history. But as as you mentioned, Major, it's got a, a checkered history. We were a state that uh, in many places shut down our public schools in the 50s through the early 60s in an era called massive resistance um, to the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision. Uh, the statistic i think uh, judge jackson will be the 116th judge um all of which all i think 110 of those were white men the fact that there will be finally be a, a a a black woman um i think is absolutely important in terms of having the court reflect uh, the diversity that that america is uh but also i think it, you know under any criteria uh, judge jackson has the intellect the temperament, and I think the um, just plain common sense to be a great Supreme Court justice. So
2: Madeleine Albright died yesterday. She was America's first female Secretary of State. She was also a fulsome believer in the power of NATO to be used to address grotesque human rights violations on the continent. Comments about Madeleine Albright's legacy that will lead us, I think, not very difficultly into a deeper conversation about Ukraine?
1: Well, first of all, uh, one of the fellow senators, actually a Republican senator, said last night, can you imagine, Madeline Albright got confirmed, I believe it was 1997, 100 to nothing, unanimous from a still very divided state sentiment, state or U.S. Senate. Um, I I count myself as very fortunate and I'm probably Half the Senate falls into this category that saw her as a a mentor and a friend. Um, She was tough, but she was humane. Um, She helped uh, school me in my early days in the Senate on issues, for example, around the rise of China. I remember a number of dinners at her house. Um, But she was also, Major, as you said, both a huge voice for freedom and a huge voice against authoritarianism. She was clear-eyed. Uh, she will be missed. Um, you know, and I know. as I, I saw on one of the TV shows this morning, people talking about the fact that even as recently as a few weeks ago, she was speaking up uh, on behalf of the people of Ukraine. And um, you know, this is a moment. I uh, I know we're going to get into this topic in in greater length, but let me just let me just raise it right now. Um, you know, over the last what three or four years, uh, things have been challenging not only in this country but obviously across the West. I mean, we've in America we've gone through you know, the challenges of a Trump administration. We went through the you know, the, the hellacious January sixth event. Uh, we've seen our political parties kind of at each other's throat. Uh, we've lived through COVID. You know, we have a social media world that tends to pit one entity against another, and I think all of us and whether we're in politics or not have probably asked the question you know can liberal democracy really succeed in in the 21st century or are these states and oftentimes you know china has been pointed as an example this authoritarian regime where there's a directed economy is that going to be a more successful model and what i think we are seeing playing out real time right now is the ukrainian people uh, under the great leadership of uh, President Zelensky, the Ukrainian people literally saying we will vote with our lives. To try to get a piece of what you in the West and we in America have always been about a free press, uh, the right to agree and debate and disagree without without going to arms, the notion uh, of, of an independent judiciary, democracy um, Ukrainians are fighting for it. And I think Zelensky again has been such an articulate spokesman on this topic. Uh, this is more than about Ukraine. And I hope all of us, and I, I know I have felt this way, and I, I really feel the vast majority of the guys and gals I work with in the Senate feel this way. You know, this is a moment for the, our country to come together, for the West writ large, not just NATO, but democracies everywhere to come together. And also take, kind of take a deep breath and realize, you know what, we are the good guys. Uh, this is a good versus evil in terms of what we were standing up against with uh, Vladimir Putin's authoritarian barbaric invasion. Candidly, those countries that, that side uh, with Russia, like China, uh, another authoritarian state, I think it may unify us not just vis-a-vis Russia, but also about the emerging challenge with China. And I, and I do hope all of us, uh, again, for all our flaws Uh, Not to kind of I'm sure we'll get back to Churchill at some point during this. But for our applause, you know, democracy still is, you know, it's got a lot of mess, but it's the best system compared to everything else.
2: So as we speak, Senator Warner, and I know, you know, this President Biden is in Brussels meeting with NATO leaders. We are recording this the morning of March 24th. I always remind my audience because they'll be listening to this over the weekend when we do this. But among the things that are on the NATO agenda is trying to get China to do something it has yet to do, which is condemn this invasion of a sovereign country. On Face the Nation, this previous Sunday, China's ambassador to the United States said a condemnation from China wouldn't mean anything. And he said China was doing everything in its power to de-escalate this situation. I'd like you to evaluate those two statements.
1: Well, I reject both of those statements. Um, China clearly... eh, I think it's been one surprise by the unity of the West, and there are there is reporting that the China Chinese economic ministers are gravely concerned about President Xi's kind of complete throwing in with Vladimir Putin uh, because of the disruption it will cause in their economy as well. But I think China is is um, uh, not frankly it is showing its true colors. And and when I say China, I think major it's always important uh, for policymakers to make clear at least in my mind, our beef is with the Communist Party of China it is with President Xi Jinping. It is not with the Chinese people. It is not with the Chinese diaspora, uh, particularly in terms of, for example, Chinese Americans, Asian Americans. Um, but uh, China is another authoritarian regime. They have created a surveillance state using technology in, in China that would make George Orwell uh, in 1984, for those literary fans and the, the the audience, blush in terms of its overreach um and i think uh, uh, you know this unity of democracies um uh, against russia I, I think we will ultimately you know you can't fence it on this one and i think china is still trying to not only fence it but actually align closer with russia i would also point out and this has been well, one of my
2: well, one second let me let me let me jump in senator warner because i got to go to a break on the other side we'll continue that thought on Major garrett Senator Mark Warner, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, is our guest. Back for segment two of The Takeout in just one second.
0: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a
1: life a good one? CBS News. This is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. The chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia, is our guest. Senator Warner, continue your thought on China. And then I want to ask you, is it U.S. policy for Ukraine to win or to just lose more slowly? But deal with China well, first let me, and take let me that next question.
1: One closing thought on China. I, I, I think clearly China is, has picked the wrong side. And I think our the long-term economic challenges we ha- have with China really are uh, the issue of the future. Let me just quickly add though, one nation that I've also been extraordinarily disappointed uh, because I think it is one of our most critical relationships in the 21st century. And is that the, the role that India has played so far? I am proud to be co-chairman of the U.S.-India caucus. I am a huge supporter of India's role in the Quad, India's you know, claims as, and it is, it's the world's largest democracy. And I have been bitterly disappointed by the fact that um, India, who aspires to be a great power, is basically taking a pass uh, and has abstained from condemning uh, Russia. Uh, And um, I I think that that is both a short-term and a long-term mistake um, by the Indian government. Now, in terms of what our role is, um, in, in in view, America's view towards Ukraine's prospects. Let me, first of all, um, again, set the stage. I think we, you know, as chairman of the Intelligence Committee, I'm the first to sometimes call out when the American intelligence community doesn't get it completely right. And clearly there were mistakes made in predicting the timeline on, on their lies in in Afghanistan. But on the question of predicting and getting exactly right what Russia's intents were and what Putin's intents were on Ukraine, they have been spot on. And they've done two things that I think they need to be commended on. One is they've been very forward leaning on, you know, getting ahead of what Putin was hoping to do to try to have any false flag operation that it was somehow said this invasion or Putin's actions were caused by Ukrainian action. So you may, some of your listeners may recall there was the notion that there was going to be a coup. And then the British said, if the Russians cause a coup, this is the guy that's going to be put in. And then the American intelligence community said, there's going to be a video and it's going to show dead bodies. It's actually going to be Russian propaganda. And time and again, the intelligence community was forward-leaning. They, 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 spies aren't don't like giving up information. The fact that they've been this forward-leaning, I think really caught Putin off guard. What they've also been willing to do is share virtually real time with our allies and with Ukraine intelligence, that has helped keep NATO united. And NATO a year ago was pretty broken after President Trump. Even four months ago, they NATO was not united uh, on the um, situation in, in terms of Ukraine. And I think the intelligence community, both in terms of being willing to preclude any pretense that this was caused by Ukraine and then uniting uh, NATO has to get a lot of appreciation. Now in terms of what we expected, I don't think any of us including the intelligence community, and I'm not even sure including the Ukrainians, you know thought the Ukrainians would do as well as they have. A lot of that was due to the leadership of President Zelensky. I mean, one of my colleagues in the intelligence community had asked two months ago, you know, Zelensky, is he Ghani, the Afghan leader who will cut and run, or is he Churchill? Well, as of today, uh, I think history will record him as the 21st century Churchill. Um, But the fact that the Russians have been as inept The fact that the Russians have been as slow, the fact that I think they are suffering the level of morale, the fact that the Ukrainian air force is still up and flying on an active basis, um, I don't think any of us predicted that. And so the idea of how long you can preclude a Russian success, which may have been kind of the intentions and the general consensus in day one, in week one, and even week two, of this invasion i think has changed i think we're right. hearing it from our contacts in eastern europe and our contacts with the ukrainians uh, that they think they can win in at least in terms of precluding uh, russia from being able to take over the major cities and take out the Zelensky government right so should that therefore
2: change u.s policy in any way From, okay, this is a defensive posture, you've got to hold off the Russians as best you can, we're not even sure you can, but now it looks like you might be able to repel them. In some cities, Russians have been pushed back. If the statistics that NATO released just this day, March 24th, are accurate, the Russians have lost between 7,000 and 15,000 soldiers. They lost 15,000 soldiers in 10 years in Afghanistan. Can Ukraine win? And if it can should that dictate a different us policy either articulated or sub rosa
1: well that's a that is a great and fair and appropriate question and you know we're recording this as you said march 24th um today uh, is going to be a hugely significant day because as you know president biden is not only meeting with nato he's also meeting with the g7 which includes japan for example not only european and countries like Canada and and United States, and then the EU, which includes a number of European countries that are not um, members of NATO. And the challenge, and I think he's he's done a good job so far, is keeping NATO united and getting them as, as many arms, as much arms as possible without escalating the war, without pushing Putin further into the corner. But also without getting some of the more reluctant NATO members, because I can assure you, even as recently as middle of February, when I was in Munich at the Munich Security Conference, not everybody was fully on board. Um, And so I, in many ways, I wish we could have filmed or we could have recorded this tomorrow or Saturday because we might have a little (laughs) more clarity on that question. Um, uh, But I think. The fact that we are roughly 20,000 anti-tank missiles and tools that have gone into Ukraine, the fact that we've got stingers, the fact that we've got countries like Slovakia, many of the the ground to air tools, missiles that can take out Russian planes. Are actually have to come, the SA-300, it's a, it's a Russian system. Those are the systems Ukrainians have been trained upon. I'm for getting them all of those materials as much as possible. I'm for also upping the sanctions on all the members of the Russian parliament, the Duma. I'm for increasing sanctions and, and potentially calling out war crimes against the Russian military leadership in Ukraine, who so brutally are butchering um, Ukrainian citizens. You know, and and I'm as anxious to push more as possible uh, as long as we keep NATO united. The one thing that was kind of a bit of a, uh, and again, this question may be determined over the next couple of days, the question of an additional 10 or 20 mid old Russian aircraft that could go over to Ukraine. Um, You know, I, I think one of the reasons that that didn't happen as quickly is there were certain NATO members that were quite honestly terrified of that happening and that made it a bit more difficult and frankly when we've got as of at least today or yesterday so these are daily numbers that change That's over right. 50 of the russian ukrainian planes still up and flying i don't think the the, the net difference of 10 more planes was not going to be de- decisive i think the ground to air missiles are, are, are a much more important tool. And again, more and more of those anti-tank uh, tools that clearly we've seen um, on the media reporting. And that's one other quick item I want to make is it's it's remarkable to me in, in terms of the dog that didn't bark, that the fact that the Russians have not brought their full cyber ca- capabilities onto the field in Ukraine, that we're still getting the the kind of images um out of ukraine that frankly are probably the most powerful tool working against putin and let me just say major to to your colleagues and and so many of the other uh journalists who are literally putting their lives on the line to get these images out of out of ukraine that's the free press that we're fighting for as well
2: yes i've said senator warner uh, political journalism is difficult war journalism is terrifying and deadly and for those who do that kind of work which i've never done I honor them always. And they are taking tremendous risks. And ladies and gentlemen, whenever you see any footage coming from the battle space, know the people who are providing that footage are risking every ounce of their life to preserve those images so you can understand what's happening in that war zone, which is Ukraine. Senator, I'm going to talk for a couple of seconds because we need to go to a break. But when we come back, you mentioned cyber and you have a kind of fascination in the world of technology its intersection with economics and futurism and cyber is implicated in all of that so on the other side of this break i want to talk to you about what the biden administration said this week which is it's coming the president's own words a cyber attack from russia is coming the implications of that on the other side of this break i'm major garrett this is the takeout
1: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Our guest, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Senator Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia. Senator Warner, I set you up on the cyber front. You mentioned just a second ago that we have been surprised that there have been some disruptions of the Ukrainian power grid from cyber attacks, but not as much as we feared, and certainly nothing here. And yet this week, the Biden administration got very out forward and said something is coming. Everybody better up their cyber defense game. Evaluate.
1: Well, first of all, you know, cyber is one of those domains that has been talked about a lot over the years, but we've never really seen a major cyber conflict. Um, Russia has a tier one level cyber tools and um, uh, cyber warriors and and we know they're frankly, the Russian military so far has not been executing that well, but we know their cyber warriors are, are first rate. And we've we've seen that in terms of their previous attacks on Ukraine. There was an attack called Not NotPetya back in 2017 that mm-hmm. literally cost billions of dollars, not only in Ukraine, but it was a worm type cyber that took down networks. And, and frankly, attack networks are all across Europe and and the West it also because once you let some of these cyber tools out, you don't know where they end up. It even ended up hurting tools in in um, and in Russia itself. So the reasons why you, you uh, Russia has not launched these cyber tools. Our initial thoughts were this one. You know, they thought they were going to win and they didn't need them. Two, they thought they were going to win and, and they didn't want to take down these networks because this, once they won, it would be take more time and effort to get them stood back up. Three, they were concerned or are concerned that, particularly some of these more powerful tools, I mentioned the kind of worm viruses that not pet you was mm-hmm. once you let that out into the wild, it doesn't respect geographic boundaries. I've been concerned for since the beginning of this conflict that they would bring their A-team and, and launch those kind of weapons, and they would bleed into Poland, for example, eastern Poland, and you could have American troops who are on the front line, you know, get killed because they're in a car wreck, because the lights go off, or Polish citizens die because power goes out in the hospital. But the fact that they have not launched those attacks, I can tell you uh, from all of the experts in the intel community, in the military, uh, we still don't have a real answer why they have not been launched. The fourth reason that potentially could be is that they are saving these tools to be used against the West, against NATO or against America. I think it was right for President Biden to put all of us on notice. I think we need to expect and anticipate as Putin's... You know, inner circle gets more and more pressed as the Russian economy shrinks more and more due to these sanctions that he will lash out. And uh, the first tier of lashing out will be attacks. And I think this has all been this has all been in the public domain against either our financial sector or against our energy sector because obviously we've shut, we've sanctioned both of those in Russia. And the truth is, our defenses need to be up. But the dirty little secret in cyber is, No matter how good your defenses are, if the offense is frankly better, you know, the bad guys need to only be effective one out of every million times. You have to be effective 99.9% of the time. So two things, two things that are important. One is we finally passed legislation that has a mandatory reporting requirement. So the government knows because only about 30% of cyber attacks are actually reported, we need that reporting so we can share with the private sector. The vast majority of our critical infrastructure is private sector. And second, even if the bad guys get in, we have where we really are strong is resilience on how we get our networks back up and operating. So let's be on guard, but let's not panic on this.
2: You talked about lashing out. One of the very important conversations going on in Brussels as you and I speak, Senator Warner, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, is Could lashing out take the form of chemical or biological weapons because Putin feels that in a military situation of either desperation or extremis, that could change the equation? Jan Stoltenberg, the head of NATO, said that would change the equation. It would change the definition, the confines of this war, especially if there was any bleed-over effect of a chemical or biological weapon. From your vantage point... Do you think this is still a more or less likely scenario for Putin to use those kind of historically forbidden weapons? Though he's used them in Syria for sure, or do you think that's less likely,
1: Major? I God, I wish I I so wish I knew the answer to that question. Um, What we do know is that Putin has become a more more and more isolated figure, and I think again, any of your listeners have seen these images where Putin sits at one end of the table and you've got a visiting foreign dignitary or his own advisors at the other. This is a, this is a dictator uh, that, as we've seen in history, as dictators become more and more isolated, less and less inputs. We were concerned on the front end of this conflict. Was he even getting accurate reports of how badly the Russian military was doing? Because nobody wants to tell the boss bad news because you know you might lose your job or more than your job. So and a, on March
2: 23rd, the day before we we're talking, Senator Warner, there was a report that one of the people within his inner circle
1: had defected. I, I think there is growing there is growing discontent within the Russian leadership, and I'll leave it at that. Um, but I this so the question is, will Putin lash out using chemical weapons as he as you pointed out, he used in Syria or, God forbid, even tactical nuclear weapons? Um, we just don't know, and the challenge, and the, the 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 role that President Biden and NATO leaders have to um, discuss today is, you know, how bright a red line do you draw in, in terms of laying out ahead of time what NATO's response would be to either one of those horrible, horrible horrible actions that Putin could take, whether it be chemical weapons or tactical nuclear weapons, because as you
2: as you well know, Senator, historically, the answer has been strategic ambiguity, the message being don't even try, don't even think about it. And it feels like that's where we still are.
1: I think that's where we still are, um, because uh, as we've seen in the past, and I think uh, we, we have made this mistake in the past. If you draw a red line and then you don't invoke consequences, if that red line is crossed, then our alliance is weakened. And I think from, again, without getting any specific countries, uh, there are different levels of all in, even from all our NATO nations in terms of what they would be willing, uh, how much commitment they would make uh, to, to um making sure that Article 5 violation, which is part of the NATO uh, uh, treaty, that basically says if Mm -hmm. one nation's attacked, all 30 are attacked. Uh, That is a real-time debate going on, I believe, absolutely right now in Brussels. And with your permission,
2: Senator Warner, I want to go back to China and India for just a second because it seems to me that what you said and what others have said evaluating their actions or inaction is the role of history is being called right now. And if this gets worse in ways that we are now discussing—battlefield nukes, chemical, biological weapons—that role of history will never forgive you for being on the fence.
1: Am I about right on that? Amen, Major. You you are about right. I mean, I think you, know, as has been spoken, this is all. Re- these are the most significant days in terms of uh, war and peace and and the future of our world since the end of World War II, and. You know, history will record uh, where you stood. The fact that uh, in as divided a world as we live in, I think 142 nations in the UN General Assembly stood together and condemned Russia's activities. Uh, I I, frankly am not surprised by China's failure to condemn China. Unfortunately, has that adversarial role uh, against not just America but against democracies around the world. They are an authoritarian. But India state. doesn't. But India, India doesn't. Major, major. You are dead on, and I've heard from so many um, Indian American friends who are bitterly disappointed um, with the Indian government. Now, yes, historically, India has been 9 aligned Yes, historically, India has bought weapon systems uh, from Russia. But, and and, you know, as chair of the India caucus, I have lobbied even the Biden administration and the Trump administration to allow India to still keep buying some of these systems from Russia um, because uh, they needed to maintain and as they transition over towards more Western based systems. But um, I I, I fear that India, who prides itself as the world's biggest democracy by not living those values at this moment in time, I hope they will change, but history will take note of where they stood on this true battle between this is not, you know, author, you know along a political spectrum, kind of good guys versus kind of bad guys. This is good versus evil.
2: That is the voice of Senator Mark Warner, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Stay tuned for segment four of the Takeout in just one second.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole?
1: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Our guest, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia. Senator Warner, uh, we again recording this March 24th, folks, for full transparency, and so you can follow this conversation as it intersects or maybe leap slightly ahead or deals with the news as we know it right before us. So as we're talking in Brussels... NATO has agreed to double the military footprint in the following countries, Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania and Slovakia. For our audience, Senator Warner, explain why that matters.
1: Well, these are all nation states uh, that are adjacent to either Ukraine or Russia. Um, We America now has uh, committed or or is in the process of of transporting troops where we will be back up to 100000 American troops in Europe. We are at roughly 68,000 as recently as uh, as 2018. Um, you've seen nation after nation across Europe, even including the Germans, dramatically up their, uh, or at least commit to up their defense spending. You've seen nations like Sweden and Finland that have historically been neutral, be willing to send um uh, materials and support to Ukraine. You even have, and, and Major, you and I are both old enough to to know the one country, no matter what conflict it would be, that was always okay. neutral was Switzerland. Switzerland yeah. is off the fence in in this uh, engagement and supporting Ukraine and condemning and helping helping to sanction Russia. Um, moving these troops closer, uh, closer, I think will god willing you know put more pause at least in in those military at commanders who were advising putin to say you know we can't even take on the ukrainians which were a relatively small force we obviously could not take on nato so you know let's take that into our calculation as mm-hmm. putin considers ratcheting up and potentially using these other uh, awful tools whether they be chemical potentially um, Uh, tactical nuclear, or even for that matter, a full-on cyber onslaught.
2: So one of the things I created this show to do, Senator Warner, was not only have a long-form conversation that's never edited, we always do that, we deliver that every week, but at times also have people in the know explain to a broad audience across America things that they're hearing about in the news, but they need more context for. So here's something that most Americans are hearing that the defense secretary of the United States government, Lloyd Austin, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, try to contact with regularity their Russian counterparts. And right now they are not getting those contacts to go through. That to suggest in the mind of many Americans something they should might be scared about. Should they be? And why does it matter?
1: Well, historically, and and, and I am a, a child of the Cold War. I grew up in an era where... Um, I remember in in grade school, we would have uh, you know, kind of possible air raid warnings where you would hide under your school desk, not that hiding under a school desk uh, in, in the event of a nuclear attack would do much, but we were constantly aware that there was the Soviet Union, the, which is now Russia, uh, against NATO in the West, and we were in conflict, and one of the ways even through the worst periods of this conflict, there was something called the red phone where the, the after the Cuban missile crisis, the head of the Soviet union, the president of the United States could immediately be in conflict. And um, to make sure that we didn't stumble into nuclear war. And there have been times, and I'm aware more now on as chairman of the intelligence committee, <laughs> there were a number of times that thank God we had those communications because In a missile drill or a a military exercise, there might be a misinterpretation of what was going on. um, And and those means of communications were able to lessen the tension. The the fact that right now the Russians are not picking up the phone uh, causes concern. I believe there are... uh, other levels of contacts going on but this is important because if a if a russian jet flying over ukraine somehow wandered into polish airspace making sure a commander could say hey that was a mistake that's not an aggressive attack right. it's really important what i what i read into this is that putin's propaganda what Putin is telling the Russian people, he's not even saying this is a war. He's calling this a, a, an, a an attempt to try to protect the Russian-speaking Ukrainians in uh the Donbass region in the eastern part of, of um of Ukraine that have been under quasi-Russian control since 2015, 2016. Uh, so what may be the case is that the the Russian officials, you know, can't even bring themselves to kind of perpetrate that. Propaganda to their American counterparts, but it is um, usually on the military side. They're fairly sober figures, realists. Uh, many of these, our secretary and, and particularly the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of staff, have I'm sure long-term relationships with some of their Russian counterparts. It is very worrisome to me that, they, that these communications are are not continuing on a real-time basis.
2: The U.S. government has said and assessed that there is ample evidence that Russian troops have committed war crimes. What is the implication of that?
1: I believe that Vladimir Putin has allowed the commitment of war crimes. I think the senseless bombing of civilians. I mean, I think many of us saw the images of that theater in in one of the Ukrainian cities where it was clear in Russian script, these are children here and they still bombed the theater. Um, I think the implication of war crimes and while Russia and the United States don't don't fully acknowledge the jurisdiction of the international courts, I believe in The Hague, uh, in in the Netherlands. Um, That moniker of a war criminal travels with you the balance of your life. I mean, we've already put Vladimir Putin as personally sanctioned into a category where he sits with Assad and Gaddafi and other great rogues of the 20th and 21st century. Uh, The idea that 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 Labeling of war criminal could also extend to other senior Russian leaders, and for that matter, Russian military leaders. Our hope would be that would make them pause because no matter how the war ends, you that charge doesn't leave your name, doesn't leave your legacy, uh, literally for the balance of your life.
2: The U.S. government announced that 100,000 Ukrainian refugees will be allowed to come to the United States. Do you expect Congress to pressure the administration to increase that number? Your reaction overall.
1: My my hope is that we could take in as many Ukrainian refugees uh, as as possible. We've now seen close to 10 million people displaced out of this war. About six million, six and a half million, roughly within Ukraine. Another four million plus to other um, uh, nations, mostly surrounding Ukraine. I think we need to do our part. Um, We still have a broken uh, immigration system. As we all know, we still haven't, frankly, taken in even all of the Afghan um, allies, many of which who fought and helped protect our American soldiers. We need to to fix this system, both for Ukrainians and for Afghans. But candidly, um, I wish and hope that uh, so many of my colleagues on both ends of this argument, would be willing to say, we ought to fix our immigration system. We need uh, you know, well-talented, hard-working individuals. Uh, it ought to be through a legal process. But in terms of the so-called TPS status, which a lot of these Ukrainians would be granted, um, uh, I think we, we need to at least match what our European friends are doing.
2: That is the voice of Senator Mark Warner. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For those watching on CBS News streaming and on all podcast platforms, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon
0: when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
1: cbs news this is the takeout
2: with major garrett welcome to your takeout outtake especial i'm major garrett senator mark warner chairman of the senate intelligence committee is our guest yes folks this is typically the fun and games part of the program but go back to the archives we have had senator warner on the show before we had it at a restaurant we ate pizza and he did all the three threshold questions so we're not going to revisit that terrain because quite honestly The story of Ukraine is the most important story, and we're going to continue our conversation about that. Um, What else should happen as NATO ministers meet? Are there other sanctions? For example, Senator Warner, there is some reluctance in Europe to really throttle down on Russian exports of energy because that would impact Europeans directly. There is talk about figuring out ways if they are achievable to prevent Russia from stabilizing its ruble, its currency with its gold reserves. I'd like your thoughts.
1: Well, I think on the energy and gas, um, we and and uh, uh, the Brits have cut off those Russian imports. But frankly, it was easier for us. We're in the easier, digit. much easier, you know, much easier. One of the things that the Biden administration has done, I, I you know, today's March 24th. I don't understand it at all why they've not made more news on this. They just in the last week, I believe it issued two new LNG exporting permits. I mean, one of the ways liquefied
2: we, natural gas yes, for those the, who the idea are curious. of taking it's American really gas energy source right, yes. taking
1: American gas, liquefying it, and sending it to Europe so we can get them off the Russian gas. Um, you know, they ought to. Uh, you know, they. Some of my Republican friends are beating the heck out of the administration for not doing war. Well, this is pretty damn significant. And I don't get why that's not bigger news and why they haven't touted it. So, yes, I think we we have to ask our German friends and others. And by by the way, the Germans already cut off Nord Stream 2, which we've been looking for for some time. But if we're going to ask them to really cut off their energy supplies, we need to help supply them some additional uh, materials. On the, on the the gold, this is a question that ties into kind of even back to our, our Indian friends again and uh, where there was some idea there'd be trading, you know, India helping prop up the ruble. I, I would be very worried about that. The other thing, Major, I just want to touch briefly on is I've got some legislation that's all Democrats at this point, but I'm talking to some of my Republican friends. Let's make sure these that Putin and his cronies, the oligarchs, aren't able to avoid the sanctions by using cryptocurrency um there is a you know there are 10 different crypto exchanges in the world only two are in America we've got some pretty good control over those let's extend some of these same controls on the foreign based cryptocurrencies because my fear is people are converting their wealth not only into bit, uh, bitcoin but tether and ethereum and a series of others or into this whole world called defi which we don't have time to talk about today and right. finding ways to kind of get their assets outside of the sanction regime. So those are a couple of things we ought to be doing as well.
2: How do you assess Vladimir Putin's hold on power?
1: Great question, Major. And we we've got visibility somewhat second tier. Um, I I am heartened every time I read about Russians potentially in Ukraine, you know, pouring out gas or not being willing to um, uh, move forward because I think they know, you know, these these are their, in a sense, cousins, the Ukrainians. And some of these reports of uh, disgruntlement within the intelligence services, uh, the fact that, as you mentioned, um, you know, there may have been some even beginning of defections uh, in high in the Russian military, um, but it's it's hard to predict. This, you know, Putin's had an iron hand for twenty plus years. This guy's a dictator that really has very tight control. But as we've seen, you know, these regimes are the easiest. Once they start to fall, they fall very quickly. He's squeezing
2: tighter. But I wonder if you could assess in our last minute, Senator Warner, the strength, the resilience of the Russian military.
1: Well, the Russian military, which is not been at this operational level literally since world war ii you know they've had forays into syria and um obviously they were looked great on paper um and one of the things after this crisis reassessment of the russian military uh, what what i don't know is is this just ineptness um, is this because they didn't? he didn't share his full plans, even with the Russian leadership, so these columns getting stuck, the lack of any kind of logistical semblance of control? Uh, I don't know the answer to that right now, but I can assure you from both the intelligence side and the DOD side, this is something we're going to be looking at very carefully in the aftermath. The pleasant surprise has been, obviously, they've been pretty damn inept.
2: That is the voice of Senator Mark Warner, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Democrat from Virginia. You've given us a great deal of time, Senator. I'm always appreciative. Thanks so much. Major, thank you so much as well. We'll see you
1: next week, folks. It's been The Takeout. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at TakeoutPodcast. And for more, go to TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If
2: you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
1: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by Fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises by a coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply